Sorry, my chair's creaky today. Yeah. I'll try very hard not to move or shift my weight even slightly. (laughs) It's about the best I can offer you on that one. Uh, I think that's atmospheric. Disagree. Make sure you only move during tense moments, then we'll get the creak. Yeah, okay, that's good. Settlers of Catan apparently sounds dirty to you. Not the word settlers of Catan, but half of the moves. That's because we kept saying wood and I am a child. Yeah. Listeners, I am very bad at Settlers of Catan, as it turns out. Or as Joanna put it, I'm not bad. It's just that I'm not as good as the other ones. Okay, I worded it badly. (laughs) No, you didn't. I'm wording it worse every time I quote you. There's no nice way to say that I'm much worse at it than you. (laughs) And it's true. And I don't really mind because it means that I get to chill and have a nice time building my silly little wall across my silly little hexagons while you and Sterling fight to the death over wood. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun winning yesterday. Speaking of board games... Oh, yeah. Our listeners are the fucking best. Specifically this week, Bex, who works at Big Potato Games, and sent us each, emailed us and said, would we each like a copy of What Next, which is a fun like choose-your-own-adventure RPG game that I've been wanting to play. So obviously I said yes. And we got our copies. And there's a a tote bag and a little cuddly toy potato and stickers. That's very cool. It's very cool. Lovely little swag bag and although we haven't had a chance to play the game yet i am enchanted by the the box art so i'm gonna go around joanna's in a couple of weeks and we're gonna have a session we're going to play it should be fun you get to build a tower of peril i do that every day that's my life that's my schedule <laughs> <laughs> it's like the tower of babel except no one here is organized it's like my laundry <laughs> fuck i didn't get the washing out it's too late now uh, it's dead yeah. Goodbye. It's been eaten by a fox. Goodbye, flannels. Goodbye, towels. Goodbye, train. (laughs) Good night, moon. (laughs) Good Good night, moon. Good night, stars. Good night, night, washing, getting moldy in my... Damn it, I was trying to find a rhyme on the top of my head and it wasn't happening. Yeah, no, we'll leave that one. Have you seen the, the little... The tiny, tiny short story from Pratchett's school, apparently, going around all the... Facebook oh, groups. is it the one about the painting? Yes, the picture, which was a fun little thing that he, he wrote at school, and it's literally a few paragraphs, and I'll link it in the show notes. And I, I thought it was rather nice. I would have it's been cool extremely happy with that if I were teaching the young Pratchett. Mm-hmm. Say that like, oh, God, I'm old now. Instead of associating myself with the teenager, I associate myself with the teacher. Fantastic. Well, we are. 13, more or less. Yeah. Give or take. Average out about 30 right now. No, (laughs) not 30 yet. Well, no, look, you've got a big birthday coming up and it's got to happen at some point. And at least it means this year you get to look forward to lots of really nice attention. True. I do really like attention. It's only February and I'm already planning your presents, which means it's a big birthday. That is quite exciting. You need to tell me whether you're going to be in the country or not, (laughs) so I can plan a party or not. I haven't decided yet. Oh, no, I know. I know. Just like when you know. Well, Grace Beatry is playing in Dublin a couple of days before my birthday, so a bit of me is tempted like, to do a little holiday in Ireland. Mm, could do. But I feel like that's spending lots of money. Well, weren't you going to go to America? Yeah, but that's like spending lots of money for a bunch of like massive new experiences, whereas mm, yeah. Ireland is like spending lots of money and like 
Oh, don't get me wrong. Wow, it's not signing off the Irish good. today, are we? Nice. No, we're not. Who was it last week? I'm, I'm just making a list of people we who <laughs> <laughs> might have a vendetta against us. <laughs> I'm not slagging off the Irish. It's just if I'm going to spend lots of money to go abroad, then like the yeah. big Vegas trip sounds more. Especially yeah, since no. Grace Petrie is also playing much closer to us in May. Oh yeah, where Norwich? Oh, if you want to go, maybe, maybe. I've been uh, to Norwich in a while. I'll think about it closer to the time. Yeah. Um, but listeners, go see Grace Petrie live. She's touring in spring and she's amazing live. Mm. What was I going to go to then? Oh, I was going to go to the National Archives. That's something else entirely. Never mind. Uh, we do keep saying we're going to do little museum trips, which we should do at some point. What's the one we're going to go to near Cambridge? I want to go to the History of Computing Museum, I think it's called. Yes, uh, that sounds fun. It does. Um, we're very into retro computer aesthetics as much as the tech let's be honest but yeah um it does look fun it's got lots of like interactive things and how is it how is it that the 80s is so aesthetically pleasing coming after the 70s which was a desert of vibe and That's, brown yeah <laughs> a lot of brown in the 70s so i like the beige though although i i am coming to realize that a lot of what i think of as cool beige things are in fact just yellowed white things yeah that's fine. so <laughs> the center for computing history there it is that awesome it. let's go to that uh-huh. it looks very cool gold green text black background i agree i'm very into that there is still something about every time my little terminal window comes up when i'm coding or just typing the code in or it's like oh i'm a cool God. hacker and i'm a hacker <laughs> I'm a hacker in a movie. You could have put a hoodie on. Could have put a hoodie on in your hoodie app for my too much eyeliner. Do you think that's not what I look like when I study ninety percent of the time? Anyway, I feel like usually you've got too much eyeliner or a hoodie. Sometimes I'm wearing yesterday's eyeliner and a hoodie. This no. eyeliner is no, really like good. I do that's wash my face. Yep. This eyeliner just doesn't come <laughs> off when I wash my face. Ah, yes, yes, liquid eyeliner. There's got to be coal eyeliner for going grungy computer hacker. We'll work on my hacker aesthetic. Yeah, I think technically I need like three nose rings as well, but. I cannot pull off a nose piercing. No. I'm glad I learned as a teenager after a small amount of experimentation. Did you have a nose piercing? I had a nose piercing for a bit. It had gone by the time I think I knew you. I had my belly button pierced for a while. So did I. I still got the scar. Same. I never had my belly button out. I was I got it I got it pierced at download like a twat. See, at least with most of my piercings, because uh, my mother was very much like, I don't care what you do, but tell me you're doing it and I will pay for you to go and have it done somewhere hygienic within reason like you're not getting a tattoo at 16 but she told me to get my nose pierced when i was 14 she told me to get my belly button pierced when i was 16 Mm. and then still because i wanted to rebel as a teenager i got flesh tunnels and just kept my hair over my ears and she didn't notice until i was up to a 10 gauge and then i was really stressed so i went and got my cartilage piercing done at claire's with a gun which hurt like fuck yeah they shouldn't do that no they shouldn't shouldn't. oh wow yeah. I don't think they can technically. I mean, obviously, okay, they should. They may not. This was this was obviously over ten years ago as well. And again, I let that piercing close up because uh, it's really uncomfortable with big headphones. Yeah, it is. I had mine done. I guess like four years ago now. But, mm. Um, it fell out without me noticing, and because I used to have them all down one ear. Yeah, and I got one of them re redone, and uh, then I accidentally let it close up. And I'm not doing that again because it took fucking forever to heal. I keep thinking about like uh, getting second lobe piercings and maybe wearing earrings more often. But oh, I've got 
three in each still. Yeah. I've certainly got one in each. And to be honest, I barely ever remember that earrings are not... I'm so used to not being allowed to wear jewellery because I worked in the kitchen. Because I'm really fancily dressed most of the time, it's very difficult to do like a... Uh, I am dressed up, dressed up, that's not like a full ball gown. Mm. So my one thing is like I will put dangly earrings on and that will make me feel extra fancy without Wait, literally wearing a earrings ball last gown. night? I don't remember. No. No. I mean, extra fancy like like out, out. I had a big necklace on. Yeah, last night, again, we went to a board game cafe, very cash. I wore black jeans and a flannel shirt because I, I wear that. And Joanna turned up in, in a velvet dress, full... Jewelry. Well, not full jewelry, apparently. One off. No earrings, but I had a necklace and a bracelet. Oh, actually, vaguely not Pratchett related, but more nerd related. There's a really good Vanity Fair art school that came out yesterday. That's a first look at the new Lord of the Rings series, Rings of Power. Oh. I was particularly hyped about this article because Joanna Robinson, one of my favorite culture writers, has left Vanity Fair, but was like doing this piece before she left. So this got released. But it's really cool. There's lots of interviews with the creators. There's lots of looks at the actual actors, including the woman they've cast for Galadriel. Looks amazing. Mm. Uh, I'm now actually quite hyped for the series. Nice. What is it? Prime? Amazon Prime. Yes. Massive budget, like they think, because uh, the plan is for it to be, I think, five series. Wow. Because it's sort of supposed to cover the entire second age of Middle Earth. They're looking at it will end up costing over a billion. It'll probably be Fuck. the first billion Fuck dollar. Off. Yeah, it's like over 100 what? million for the first series. Oh my god. Like bigger <gasps> budgets than Game of Thrones. I guess Jeff Bezos is like actually super into Tolkien and was very willing for like a lot of money to go into this project. Now, this is an interesting topic, side topic. Yeah. I know that Tolkien was baffled and slightly disapproving of the fact that so many hippies were into his work. Yeah. He did not expect to be like flower child central. Yeah. as a fandom like he he just didn't get it at all i do wonder as a like because he was pretty small small c conservative i don't think he'd have thought much of the silicon valley lot being very into him either because no. they're all break things for progress aren't they and he was very yeah. anti that i don't think he would have liked jeff bezos because oh, jeff no, bezos definitely has not jeff like bezos personally yeah <laughs> massive sauron vibes massive sauron vibes not as far as I can tell, a human person. Also definitely not a human person. More human than Mark Zuckerberg, maybe. Because Terrible Mark's... bar, though, isn't it? Yeah, and the bar is, that's where the bar is, and it is, I'm in a first floor flat, it's way below me. I, uh, I wonder how Tom's doing. Tom? MySpace Tom. Oh. <laughs> Good old human Tom. <laughs> You remember Tom? Human Tom, yeah. Human Tom, <laughs> definitely human Tom. Suspiciously specific nickname. <laughs> Suspiciously human Tom. But you know what? Tom didn't have to plant tactical bottles of condiments around to try and persuade people he was indeed a human person. Hang on, what? Mark Zuckerberg, do, do you not, the, the no. whole, um, the, the metaverse launch, he was talking from his weird minimalist office but he'd left a bottle of sweet baby ray's barbecue sauce on the shelf somewhere so everyone was like ha look he's left a, a bottle of sweet baby ray's on the shelf he's human too he like he likes barbecue sauce that's his human attribute tm um barbecue is sauce. he likes barbecue sauce yeah he really likes barbecue sauce he says uh and so that worked quite well whatever pr person came out with that congrats i guess 
they I must mean, congrats, definitely, I suppose, apart from the fact you, you do evil on this earth. Yeah, you do evil on this earth, but like, but, you well know, good done. work. That was, yeah. <laughs> Objectively. Yeah. Speaking of huge evil on this earth, it looks like Russia's about to. Invade I thought you were going to say, do you want to make a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a better link, actually. That, there's nothing we can say about, about Ukraine. Ukraine. <laughs> no, me neither. Speaking of uh, huge evil on this earth, Francine, do you want to make a podcast? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> And I mean, comparatively, it's not that evil. <laughs> I still, I still feel really insensitive. It's not that I don't want to talk about you, Ukraine. It's that there's nothing there's I nothing can say that will make it we better. Can say. So we'll just make the world a little bit worse with our musings. It's kind of nice to know whenever I'm worried I'm being a really shit person that I can just look at Russia and go, well, I'm not that bad. I don't think that's... I don't... I don't think there's any philosophers that'll agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like looking at Mark Zuckerberg and going, well, at least I'm not that deep into the uncanny valley. Yes. Oh. Oh, the first stop in the uncanny valley. I want that as an album name. Cool. Let's make an album. Should we make a podcast first, though? Yes, let's make a podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Tree Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are usually reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And today we are continuing our terrific trilogy season with part two of the Bromeliad. We are talking diggers. Hooray. Come between truckers and wings. Note on spoilers before we crack on. Okay. We are a spoiler light podcast, obviously heavy spoilers for the book Diggers, but we will avoid spoiling any major events in the Discworld series, past or future, in case you're joining us for the first time. And we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Uncontrollably backwards towards a railway line. Title of my autobiography. Absolutely. Francine, what happened previously on the Bromeliad? Previously on the Bromeliad, a group of rural gnomes hitchhike to civilization and find themselves underfloor at the store, alongside more of their kind than they knew existed. Just as they're getting comfortable, they learn of impending destruction and a star-studded history. The other gnomes, ignorant of the outside world, take a bit of persuading, but they're eventually rallied into a journey outside. To achieve this, our original troop of troublemakers upgrade their criminal activities from stowawaying to grand theft auto with a side of arson. We left our Lilliputian louts in a quarry. Who knows what damage they'll do there. And now we have Diggers, which was published the very next year in 1990. All of these were published in very quick succession. I assume yeah. they must have been written all at once, more or less. And a fun fact for Diggers is that in the American edition, Jacob is called Big John, John Deere being an agricultural machinery company. I thought I'd mention that right at the beginning in case we confuse any American listeners. Ah, yes. So if we say Jacob, we mean Big John. Yes. Shall I tell us what happened this time? Yes, do. Awesome. Summarise. This time, during Diggers. Ideas linger as winter looms, and in the quarry, now home to gnomes, the Council of Drivers gathers. Masklin updates a dormant thing on recent events, including the passing of old Torrit. His terrible attempt at proposing to Grimmer has left him feeling lost and looking again to the stars. A truck arrives at the gate to the quarry, and as one piece of paper drifts through the air, another is posted to the quarry gates. It's due to be reopened by order. 
As the council plans to maybe make a move to the barn over the fields, the paper lands and the gnomes read the news. Arnold Bro's descendant, grandson Richard 39, is due to visit Florida in the launching of a satellite. Gerda wants to find Richard and Masklin wants to find a way into the skies. They agree to head to the airport and find grandson Richard 39, with Thing along to help with satellites and Angelo along for the ride. Meanwhile, the rest of the gnomes make plans for the bomb until Nicodemus, the spiritual leader in Gerda's stead, takes things to extremes. As humans begin to poke around, Nicodemus tells the gnomes to simply rebuild the store in their heads, drawing old lines across new beginnings. Dorcas visits his dormant monster, Jacob, as Grimmer starts to break down and snow begins to fall. With Maskling gone for eight days, Dorcas finds purpose and plans to immobilise the human's lorry, cannibalising it for parts. Unfortunately, in the process, he finds himself and his acolytes trapped in the cab as the lorry sends itself down the hill to the train tracks. The gnomes think the worst, and as Grimmer tries to get them running, Nicodemus disastrously defies the humans and loses his life. As one human lingers in the quarry buildings and violent poisons are left for vermin, the gnomes take matters into their own hands, tying up the human. From his newspaper, they learn that a satellite sending the wrong signals has the world in a panic and Masklin must therefore still be alive. One of Dorcas's acolytes returns just in time and informs the gnomes that the rest are alive nearby. After a brief bit of despair and a foxfight, the gnomes return home, ready to revive Jacob and make their escape. Grimmer leads the drive as the gnomes make their uh, escape on the monstrous digging lorry, running down humans and sheds alike until they find themselves surrounded. All seems lost as darkness suddenly falls and gnomes look up as something looms. A lift comes down from the large looming thing and hope arrives in the form of a frog-filled flower. Oh. I wish hope always arrived in the form of a frog-filled flower. I don't have enough frog-filled flowers in my life. Yeah. Find you a man who will lower a frog-filled flower from a UFO for you. That's all I want. Ladies. It's not too much to ask. <laughs> or men. Or men. Yeah. Or it's neither. not the heteronormative front scene. All right, I'm sorry. I was just doing a meme. Of yeah, course, fair. by doing that, I am perpetuating the heteronormativity of memes. Yes, memes are inherently heteronormative. <laughs> Anywho, uh, helicopter and line go too watch. far off. All oh, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally. On How am I still disappointed every week? If it helps, I had nothing for loincloths this week. I tried. I really did. It helped a bit, yeah. Uh, but I'm going with planes and escaping trains as our helicopter representatives. Not the big thing in the sky. No. Okay. We've got another week to go on this front seat and I'm trying to eke okay. things out. That seems fine. Have we even seen any planes? There's an airport. Cool. I feel like planes are somewhat implied. <laughs> so, so, just, uh, we've got a not a helicopter implied. Well, no, uh, Masculine watches planes taking off and stuff. He does, you're quite right, yeah. He does, yeah. No, so there are planes. Mm-hmm. I just thought airport implying planes. I think was the enough. I think the pot with the the frog filled flower could be a helicopter. It's hovering. It is hovering. Actually, mm. you're very right. Okay, cool. There's loads of helicopters in this. Yeah, I'm sorry. Provided you really broaden you. your definition of helicopter. And I think we've had to do that for <laughs> for almost two years, or whenever you introduce this over two years now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, over two years. What was it like? Mm-hmm. The fucking third episode or something? You didn't give me long before you. I, I loincloths came first. I know that. What came first, the loincloth or the helicopter? <laughs> For anyone who hasn't listened to us from the beginning and is wondering at the origins of helicopter and loincloth, watch, we're not really sure. I'm glad I put that disclaimer at the start of last week's because a listener did write in saying that um, they'd listened to 
they'd listen to us up to good omens and then it'd skip forward to the bromeliad because they're very into that um and that we still had all the same in jokes which luckily they were delighted by but i'm a bit horrified to be honest well it's 50 50 if you disagree with me i will either panic backtrack and immediately agree with you or i will double down to the point it becomes a bit <laughs> I have two methods of coping with conflict and this has become a bit should we do uh, quotes we shall sorry i was just opening the email to make sure we hadn't lost any but we haven't we're good we're fine everything's awesome. going to be okay don't panic damn it i was gonna panic the trouble with having an open mind of course is that people will insist on coming along and trying to put things in it one of the much-quoted Pratchett quotes. And I always forget it's from this. Me too. Which is why I was delighted to come across it. I always think of it as being from Small Gods or something. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure something vaguely rewired like this was in there. Yeah, quite yeah. possibly. Um, ah, yeah. Delight. I think that speaks for itself. Yes. And you, Giovanna. Where is mine? You have a quote. 69, her, her. You know, I didn't even put her, her in the podcast, in the podcast notes. I know, that's why I did it for you. I'm supporting you. Thank you. It was magnificent. Ma- ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've clearly put you off now. Magnificent. Yeah, was... It was magnificent in its way, that plan. It was like a machine where every single bit was perfectly made, but had been put together by a one-handed gnome in the dark. It was crammed full of good ideas, which you couldn't sensibly argue with, but they had been turned upside down. The trouble was there were still ones you couldn't sensibly argue with because the basically good idea was still in there somewhere. Mm. Yes, troubling. Partly troubling and partly everything I try to do ever. Like the Tower of Peril. Like the Tower of Peril that is my life slash laundry. <laughs> so going on to characters, Joanna, should we start off with the, not the originator of that quote, but the uh, the inspiration of that quote? Yes, Nicodemus. I, uh, I've got a lot to say about Nicodemus, and I'm going to save some of I it for later in the episode because I want to talk about it in like the broader sense. Cool. But it's good character work for a character that's not even alive mm. for the entire book, and it's only about 160. My copy is only about 160 pages. Yeah, yeah, mine's about 150. Yeah, it's um, mad, isn't it? It's how, not a lot. How, of how much of a arc he gets in? It's an incredible arc, and an incredibly, so in, in the B plot of a short book. Yeah. I mean, it's as much as there is a B plot. I'd say it's more A plot, actually. I feel yeah. like masculine going off to the airport's the B plot. I was thinking because the other names are elsewhere. Oh, yeah. It's two A plots, isn't it? Yeah. Two parallels. Yeah. yeah, so he's introduced like on my book in page 24, and he, he's introduced as unlikable immediately, or at least masculine doesn't like him. Mm. He'd never liked the young gnome, and the young gnome had never liked anyone as far as masculine could see. He's kind of thinks as he talks and somehow convinces himself of whatever he's saying. Yeah, That's which is clever. something with kind of fanatical people I've noticed is they can just keep arguing themselves into a point. Yeah. Yeah, we'll both come back to this later. So yes. let, let's swiftly move on to Grandson Richard, comma, 39. Grandson Richard, 39, the uh, the hero of the piece, clearly. Yes, the main character, yeah. I would say. The Globetrotter. The protagonist, the antagonist, the romantic interest. Grandson Richard, comma, 39. A hero. A hero for our times. <laughs> I have a poster of him in my wall. <laughs> On the page that Grandson Richard, 39, is introduced, I have also noticed the uh, joy of trying to understand headlines if you don't know what a headline is, which I forgot to put in little bits we liked. Oh, gosh. I was reading through the uh, Economist's concise style guide trying to find some 
good comparisons and obviously because it's the economist i couldn't really i should have gone for some sun ones but um there were some yeah some good examples of journalese and everything like that very very much recommend the econ- my recommendation of the week which i always forget to do listeners yes. is buy yourself a copy of the economist style guide i don't think it's available online anymore so you'd have to buy it so grandson richard is of course the grandson of the arnold bros est 1905 Yes, we as the as the audience understand this. I'm not entirely sure how well the gnomes understand this. I mean, they understand what a grandson is. Yeah, they seem to think he's the grandson of Arnold, which is close. They're not far off. It's grandson of one of the Arnold brothers. But yes, grandson, grandson Richard, comma thirty nine is apparently off doing a bit of globe trotting, and he's going to witness a satellite launch in Florida. Oh my God, he's Jeffrey Bezos. No wait, Elon Musk. Did you hear about all those Starlink satellites getting burned up? Did I tell you about that last night? No, I missed that one. I think like 40 Starlink, Starlink satellites that had just been sent up got dragged down into a geomagnetic storm, basically, burned up. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yes, nice because you don't must care. But also, yeah. poor people <laughs> for, who need that internet. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, good point. I always feel bad for people without the internet. I'm mostly reacting nice because I don't know about geomagnetic storms and now I've got something to Google when we're done podcasting. Oh yeah. There's some really like poetic Reddit comments on the on the R news story, incredibly. I Just might... like something like that ships sailing through space will encounter storms. Things like that. Just accidental poetry. Is there an accidental Beautiful. poetry subreddit? I bet there is. There's almost There's definitely like but that's not the same. No. Uh, anyway, um, sorry. Sorry. What? Who else have we got? Uh, Sacco and Nuti, who I've sort of put in as standards for <laughs> Sacco and Nuti, are definitely syllables. Newt, newt. Say what you like about them, but they are syllabic. <laughs> That's another one you can say in a really weird British accent to sound a bit homophobic. Is he a bit? Is he a bit syllabic? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I've got some great uh, innuendos for that later. Then euphemism. <laughs> wait till we get to wordplay. Um, <laughs> you have to remind me because I'm. That wasn't in my head while I was writing them down. Uh, but yes, um, they're the stand-ins for just the next generation, are they? Yeah, they're the sort of next generation, Dorcas's ac- acolytes, uh, Nooty Kitty's clothes, uh, who's a plump young gnome who wore trousers and was good at engineering, volunteered to guard instead of staying home and sort of learning how to cook. Things were really changing in the quarry. I want to be a plump young gnome who wears trousers and is good at engineering. I feel like I'm close. Jacob. Jacob. Which, did you get it before it was explained? Yes, because it was called Diggers. Yeah, no, see, it went over my head and I was trying to work out why it was called Jacob for the entire book. I got it possibly slightly quicker than you because I uh, live with a farmer. So oh, I yeah. I hear about point. JCBs. And I'm really glad it went over my head and I was trying to work it out for the entire book because as soon as right near the end is explained that it's a JCB, mm. I had the fucking song in my head. I'm Luke, I'm five, and my dad's Bruce Lee drives me around in his JCB. It was like everywhere, like 15 years ago. Like I wasn't it was, very online 15 years ago. It wasn't even just online. It was like hugely popular in England. Like it was constantly on the radio. Really? Yeah, like the music video was constantly on the music channels. This may be when um, I came in from the parallel universe a little after that. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't remember that at all. I can't believe you don't know the JCB song. It was huge in the UK anyway. Like it was number one for ages. What? Yeah. How old am I now? 30, 15 years ago? I wasn't even drunk that much at 15. No, I have no idea what I was I'm doing. I'm not even sure. 
if it was 15 years or longer mm. uh i'm just gonna google it quickly released 2004 so nearly 20 years ago yeah no uh, 18 years ago i guess i might have known it at the time yeah well, I'll, 12 um, i would have been 12 i was i was pretty unaware of everything at 12 yeah i i had the music channels on a lot and all radio one because we always listen to that in the car so maybe that's it i'll link to it in the show notes anyway it's really irritating but yes i got that it was a digger it just my brain didn't make the connection to jcv i've been trying to paint a small portrait of everard digby don't ask why um but it's gotten the song eleanor rigby in my head a million times this week wait hang on who's edward digby everard digby He, he was one of the gunpowder plotters oh okay yeah yeah I, um, wait, wait. It's that there are five of them. Okay, it's the thing. Yes, the one I was painting was the gunpowder plotter. Uh, he was hanged on a cord. Awesome. Yeah. Are you painting the portrait of him before or after he was hung drawn and quartered? Before. I couldn't find a good reference of after. <laughs> and I'm only doing his head. Anyway. Well, look, he was only 27 or 28 when he died. He looked so much older. Plotting gunpowder makes you look old. I like oil paintings also make people look older than they are. That's true. Ironic considering the phrase is, she ain't no oil painting. Yes. Maybe the person who originated that phrase liked creepy looking waxen faced women. That's what I'm into. Do you know the Mona Lisa had her eyebrows removed accidentally during cleaning? Yeah, this was like a whole thing because yeah, uh, when they figured out a restorative process and it proved that the Mona Lisa had eyebrows, someone like tweeted like, oh my God, the Mona Lisa had eyebrows. And someone mm-hmm. else was like, oh, it's all women care about. And she was like, I'm a fucking art history scholar. Uh-huh. It's been like a topic of debate in circles for centuries about whether or not the Mona Lisa had fucking eyebrows. Fuck off, mate. All right. Well, now I feel really bad because what I was going to say was I would be fuming if somebody put a picture of me up with no eyebrows. <laughs> Oh no, I would be too. <laughs> God, Francine, you're so shallow. I'm so scholarly. You're so shallow, Francine. We yeah. are Look, talking what? about the book. I'm so tired. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I'm not helping. Normally, I'm, I can I can rally if one of us is tired. Oh, fuck but... me with four bullet points in Dorcas. I love Dorcas. He's one of my favourites. I love him so much. I think he's my favourite character in this book. He's so gentle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, and the the way he looks after the machines is really interesting. Like he humanizes them. What was it? it? Oh, yeah. He was always at a loss when people acted like this. When machines went funny, you just oiled them or prodded them, or if nothing else worked, you hit them with a hammer. Names didn't yes. respond well to this. Uh, <laughs> and then the other little quote I just found really charming was, "Nah," he said. Eventually, I've looked at the colors on flowers; they're definitely built in. <laughs> I love that line. I just like the idea of like licking your thumb when you're rubbing it on the flower. Like, nah, I think I reckon that's in there. I reckon yeah. that's hard coded. I don't think that's the skin. Yeah. <laughs> he gets a lovely moment near the end uh, when they're taking apart a truck, and he says, "You're killing a truck." Oh. And Grimmer says, "Well, it's just a machine. It's bits of metal." He says, "Someone be someone made it. it. Must be very hard to make. I don't like the idea of destroying made things." Oh yeah, I hate destroying things that are hard to make. You can make more gnomes easily you just yeah and yeah and like right right at the end when he's like cleaning up jacob and feels really bad about he's been left all covered in litter with footprints he's cleaning him up all these ufos hovering ahead i know i just love him he patted jacob again well i care mm. it's so sweet he is he is lovely and he's so nice to to grimmer 
he gets his sort of final moment right near the end, literally the last page. He was still start- tired enough to go to sleep standing up, but he felt his mind fizzing with ideas. Of course, there were a lot of questions, but right now the answer didn't matter. It was enough just to enjoy the questions. Yeah, actually, that ties into like an earlier quote. He stared at his feet. I'm still very ignorant, he said, but at least I'm ignorant about really important things, like what the sun is and why it rains. So it's something you've picked up on as a theme in Pratchett books before of like the um, becoming yeah, aware of the ocean, not just the pebbles. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a bit like um, way back in Equal Rights, one after Simon's lecturing, the wizards are very proud of themselves because now they're unaware about really huge universal things. That's it. I couldn't think of the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is always one of my favourite Pratchetty themes. Yeah. And then Granny Morky. Much better in this one. Much better in this one. She's fun. I like how much glee she's sort of taking in things being a bit doom and gloom. Yeah, she's definitely more in her element now. And I think that now she doesn't have Torrit to gripe at she's having a bit more fun as well yeah weirdly it sounds like she didn't really want to get married in the first place (laughs) yeah i like her sort of i mean i've got a lot to say about grimmer in general in this book but i I like her sort of thing of "Hmm, good yes women should do more of not doing what they're supposed to do yeah like wandering around happily in the snow (laughs) and you can uh, see it can't you like we're gonna be that one day (laughs) absolutely (laughs) And when the big digger reveal, she, with the big Jacob reveal happens, and she's like, "It's a digger." Oh, yeah, yeah I've seen one of them. Heard about yeah. them. Also, and, and Grimmer's realization that oh, this person has actually like had a whole life. This mm. is a whole person, not just this old woman. Yes, I know. Yes, yes. I only want to briefly mention the thing because I will talk about the thing a bunch when we talk about the next book. Mm-hmm. But I do like when Musclin's talking to it while it's still dormant, yeah. and the, just the line, "The black cube managed to look sympathetic." Yeah, I was thinking I still can't afford therapy, but I might just get a black cube. The whole reason we have this podcast is because neither of us can afford therapy. Yeah, but sometimes we can't manage the sympathy, so we better get a cube each just in case. (laughs) Good point. There, there, Francine. (laughs) Don't be cry. Don't be cry. Oh, we're a little bit like Dorcas. (laughs) Yes, but we've never hit each other over the head with hammers. No, no, we did we did manage that much emotional development as youngsters. Yes, I'm very proud of the two of us. Unlike Angelo. Angelo, I'm a bit pissed off at Angelo. Right? Right at the beginning. He was married in the spring to a young lady. They've already got a fine pair of youngsters, two months old and talking already. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of fucks off with Masculine and Gerda. I know. And I get it. Like, I understand that, you know, it's very within Angelo's character to really hope he can nick one of those aeroplanes. But he just... Did he not think to bring his wife and kids along oh god you know not to bring young kids on an airplane do I? yeah good point or at least like i would have liked to have seen some stuff grimmer's sort of so frustrated waiting for masculine to come back and you see her mm. it really being a driving force for her i would have liked That's to have yeah. met angelo's wife and seen how she reacted to her yeah even just a half sentence of like angelo going and saying to the kids i'll bring you back a alligator whatever i'll bring you back a florida yeah. juice yeah yeah, yeah something yeah yeah good point yeah they're acknowledged not at all i feel like it just the book would have been somewhat improved without that detail yeah um yes i i just noticed that he'd he'd buggered off from his family but it didn't even occur to me that they never mentioned them again yeah in that case i'm blaming the narrator i'm blaming the narrator well i was gonna blame terry pratchett i suppose we shouldn't do that well he is the narrator oh yeah good point god 
God damn it, Terry. Anyway. I guess Terry Pratchett's all of these people. Maybe we're all Terry Pratchett. Oh, no, no, I'm getting an existential crisis, and that's not till the end of the plan. Okay, no, carry on. Yeah, no, we scheduled the existential crisis, Francine. Oh, fuck, I haven't got my cube. <laughs> got a ball of wool. I need my therapy cube. <laughs> Can I offer you a ball of wool in this trying time? <laughs> oh, thank you. That'll cushion my ball from the Tower of Beryl. Anyway, therapy cube. Masculine is obviously out of action for most of the book because yep. he buggers off. Or in action elsewhere. In yes. action elsewhere. We'll, we'll find out, possibly. Will I, we? Oh, I hope so. Oh. I was kind of assuming we would. Yeah. Well, he went to an airport on the next book is called Wings. So yeah. I feel like we're in, a, in with a good chance. <laughs> I'd like it um, to know, though. That wasn't it. No, that's not it. Uh, no, this book is kind of weirdly paced, though. Mm, like agreed masculine doesn't leave till like a good third of the way through and then the entire plot happens yeah yeah it does seem more like this is a sequel rather than the second part in a trilogy does that make sense yeah but then i wonder if because the second and third books are significantly i would say shorter than the first not like half the length or anything but i wonder if it became too long and then it got split up and that's why the pacing ended up a bit odd like if these scenes got taken out and put at the end it feels like this is like a B plot to the plot of the next book. Yeah. But yeah, quite possibly just too long. So it ended up being yeah. split into two books. So it's I only got the set up. Yeah. Yeah. That might be an interesting question. Mm. But yes, I do like uh, a rant he has at the thing. Cause the thing sort of tells him this isn't the time to leave. You're ill prepared. Mm. And Masculine's reaction is, I'll never be well prepared. I was born in a hole. <laughs> life is being badly prepared for everything which just obviously i wasn't born in a hole but it's still very relatable <laughs> were you born in a barn barn luxury <laughs> we lived in cardboard box in midlet road when i were young we lived in a hole in the ground and all my mates got eaten by fox we would have killed for hole in ground <laughs> oh I love the four Yorkshireman sketch so much. Um, oh, I wish I didn't, I... I didn't sound so offensive when I did the impression. <laughs> You're I... wearing a flat cap. <laughs> I can pull it off. Or I'm somehow being extra racist and not Yorkshireman. Um, a, that <sighs> sketch always makes me think of your father because he will respond to almost any comment by saying it back and following it up with luxury. Yeah, he can do the accent though, so that's something. B, there's a really good version of it. Guilty Feminist with Amnesty International did the Secret Policeman's Ball. Like they kind of brought that tradition back, which is what the Four Yorkshiremen sketch is from. And I will see if I can find the episode and link to it. They've got a really funny, like, kind of feminist take on the Four Yorkshiremen sketch with like Ashling B. And that's fantastic. Yeah, I want to see that. There's also a great revival of the famous Going for an English sketch, which is just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Fantastic. It's the same show. Yeah. Yes, we'll link to that. Anyway. Anyway. Let's talk about Grimmer. Should we talk about Grimmer? Yeah, I expect you have more to say than I do on Grimmer. I, I, I was just like um, infatuated with Dorcas, so. Yeah, that's fair. I like her a lot more this book, similar with Good. Granny Morky, although in different reason, ways. She's not doing as much of hand on hips, well, okay, I'll jolly well do it then, so much as like she's flawed in this, mm, which yeah, is better. She's a full character, yeah. It's like once you take Masklin away to play her off against and she's got Dorcas instead, who is a very different sort of character, mm. she gets to be more well-rounded. Yes, and she gets to kind of get to know other people better as well. 
I don't know. Yeah. Masculine seems to have taken up, yeah, this huge part of her psyche. I do like her sort of last line to masculine where, you know, she's almost going to say that she'll be upset if he doesn't come back. And she, you know, it's a silly idea. I have a terrible job explaining things to people. And I like the response of masculine looked disappointed but defiant and says, uh, well, I'm going to try anyway. Sorry. Mm. Yes. Yes. It's very sweet. But then watching her sort of build up into her righteous fury over the course of the next, the rest of the book. Yeah, it's, it's it's like, it's not frustration, is it? It is, well, there's a, I guess a, it's like desperation. It's, it's not quite of, pure um, anger, is it? It's Yeah, a bit of Dorcas is in a monologue where he thinks about the difference between her bad temper and actually furious. Yeah. Saying her bad temper seems to be because her mind works quickly and she's impatient with people not keeping up. Yeah. Whereas now this was fury, especially at the humans. Yeah. And her sort of, uh, the piss take Churchill speech. Yes. I'll fight them in the lane. We'll fight them at the wet gates. Yes, small scale world war. Small scale world war. I feel like I want to make the statement that as a podcast, we do not endorse Churchill. Uh, as a resident of the Channel Islands, where there's pretty mixed feelings about him there anyway, even before people were like, oh yeah, and he starved like a whole bunch of people. Yes. Um, because, you know, well, anyone, anyone who fancies looking into what Churchill said about the Channel Islands. <laughs> because uh, we're trying to be positive. Are we? Oh no, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> We're not doing Again, well. my big point today is existential dread. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair, mine too. But before existential dread, actually kind of existential dread with oh, no. uh, Grimmer and a part of her fury coming yeah. from this fear of what humans would do with them and becoming this sort of flower fairy little pet. Yes, yeah. Oh, I don't want to go and paint flowers. <laughs> I don't want to fix shoes. Yeah, it's like she's trying to think of making the best of a bad situation, but she just keeps going. So she's like, I don't want to do that. No, I can't. I can't subjugate myself. No. Yeah. Yeah. When finally Dorcas has enough with her, and I guess this is as much a Dorcas point as a Grimmer point, but him losing his rag and saying, like, mm. look, just stop shouting. <laughs> say please and thank you. Yeah. Like, yes, it's the grease on the, again with his machines. It's like greasing. He he put it where it didn't sound dirty. It's greasing people up. <laughs> people are a bit like machines, and words like please and thank you are just like grease. There they make them work better. There we go. Thank you. Yes. The Again, word lubrication wasn't there, but I couldn't think of how to say it. <laughs> very, after he has uh, explained why he's telling her to shut up, he sort of ends with, is that all right? And Grimma, I note, did not apologise. She didn't. But became a little easier to work with i think it's a i, I really like her relationship with yeah. dorcas in this yeah. because i think they're bringing out the best in each other yeah absolutely and they didn't need to have like a whole argument about it dorcas made his point grimmer fumed for a minute and then adjusted her better. actions yeah <laughs> and she gets this kind of late stage self-awareness bit where uh she's thinking about you know the fact that masculine isn't there mm. and she sort of goes oh i mean i went on about the frogs and the flowers and i didn't really think about her think about him and it's this sudden, like, as as caught up in masculinity is with, you know, the bigger picture for the gnome. She is so caught up in what she wants and also how she's been treated unfairly, which is, is fair because, you know, if you think about how women have been treated as, as members of the gnome race for so long. Yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like they were expecting, she was expected to be the supporting character anyway. I feel like a few yeah. months of not thinking about masculine wasn't that much of a sin, but... No. But obviously, like... Even if she didn't think of him romantically, they were clearly like best 
friends or very close. It's more this awareness that she didn't have to be her main character the entire time. And it's yeah. a bit like it, it follows on from what Dorcas is saying to her is that she's thinking about other people. Yeah. <clears throat> and at this point, she's actually thinking about other people in a productive way and not in a I'm fucking tired, do what you like way. Although I do yeah. like that reaction of hers. Yes, although it was a bit disheartening. It was disheartening, but it was relatable. relatable. Yeah. <laughs> Why are all our relatable things disheartening? <laughs> Because the world is a terrible place. Anyway, uh, location-wise, we're at the quarry for like the whole thing. I didn't really take any notes about that. We're in a quarry. I quite liked the continued theme that the gnomes are still pretty fucking agoraphobic. Yes, uh, the idea of not looking out the fourth direction, and then like the utmost, the utter terror, and not being able to say the word field, and like they're so scared when they're up on top of a hill. I thought it was interesting. Like he didn't just drop that. Yeah, no, that was good. Uh, I also like the fact that they refer to the field as corrugated earth. Oh yeah, that was great. Yeah, <laughs> and the um, the you know the the aircon blows blows the snow that way. Outside, it's called wind. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, Nooty's parents seem nice. Nooty's parents seem. I like Nooty and Sacco. I know I didn't say a lot about them, but yeah, I'm, I'm pleased good. for them. Yes, I'm glad they're not crushed by a train. Little bits we liked. Little bits we liked. Holy utterances, Batman. Holy utterances. This is when they're trying to interpret the newspaper message as a holy utterance from Arno, Arnold Bros. S1905. Ah, yes. Gerda sort of very, very solemnly saying holy utterances are often difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Saying, mm-hmm. well, this must be really holy then. Yes. <laughs> that tickled me. That made me chuckle. And and then onto the, the title of the, 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 the name of the thing in the thing. The things in the thing. Yeah. We get the, the name, name of the thing, thing in the thing. thing yeah. I'll t- probably talk about this more next week, partly because I started looking at Wikipedia pages about tree frogs and nearly bought a bromeliad as a houseplant because it turns out you can get small ones as houseplants. Mm. Quite also, pretty. I did tell you I was doing research on that. Yeah, which is also where I gave up. Yes. There's no point us doing it twice. We've tried this. But yes, Grimmer mentions these great big flowers called bromeliads and there's pools in the flowers. Mm. And tadpoles grow in the pools and become frogs, and all they know is that flower. Mm. But this the the little idea of, of not little, but the idea of there's so many cool things, and I I didn't know the world was that big, and now I've yeah. learned, and I've got to stay here in a fucking quarry. Yeah, it was that proper like outburst, and I got it very much. It's kind of a cousin to the thing we were saying, where like the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know. Yes, although I must say, Dorcas seemed to have more of a optimistic take on it. Yes, I think yeah. I prefer Dorcas's take to Grimmer's, but I understand Grimmer's at that particular moment. Um, flower fairies. The thing that Grimmer did not want to be, as you quite rightly said. They found a little a book of fairy stories for kids and like how... Uh, is it a gnome who repairs... It's an elf, isn't it? It's an elf who repairs people's shoes in the fairy story. Yeah. That's right. Elf repairs people's shoes and then like the flower fairies are a lovely thing. And I was looking at some old Victorian um, illustrations of flower fairies recently, which I'll link, uh, which are very sweet and then less sweet. Um, did you ever have a copy of like that pressed fairy book? Lady Cottington's pressed fairy book? Yeah. And literally, <sighs> it is like almost within arm's reach of me right oh, now. Oh, awesome. Oh, cool. Can I look at it next time I'm over then? Because I was about to shell out for like way too much money for one just because i wanted to see some of the pictures up close again yes um, because um, they're like oh actually then oh that's all right that's not so bad i can i can get one of these um I, I must have looked at the wrong place i thought it was like 50 plus quid but it's not 
Um, but yes, anyway, Lady Cuttington's Press Fairy Book. Uh, somebody bought that for me when I think I was too young to have it. Because... <laughs> it's actually quite rude in places, but you don't realise. Yeah. It looks like just a sweet, funny little wild fairy book unless you look closely. And it was, uh, the, the, the premise is that there was a, a little Victorian girl, or not Victorian, Edwardian girl who found fairies and pressed them in her book like you would press flowers. And yeah, yeah it's all very gory and just very cool illustrations and that's what this made me think of even though it had nothing to do with it um <laughs> i actually um i actually had a big book of flower fairies growing up i don't ah, know how i, I, bet, I, I bet must you have got the, rid of it at some point i bet you had the illustrations i'm thinking of because there was one really famous one yeah um, i think that's the one i had and they were all fairies mm. as different types yeah, of flower yeah, yeah, yeah. Could... that's so sweet um but the lady who did those her friend was also an illustrator who also did like flower fairies as like a homage to her sometimes and it was all oh that's really yeah, lovely no I'll, yeah i'll i'll dig out what i was looking at and she but yes this was a little bit i liked and not even in a silly like uh haha naked flower fairies pressed in a book way i do also like flower fairies <laughs> no that's fair i agree with you i enjoy many levels of fairies <laughs> it's fairies all the way down um now we sound homophobic again, Francine. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, did you? Uh, it's, it's your turn to talk about the weather. Yeah, I even had to put a note in next to this note saying, uh, "Have you got any of these as your quotes?" Because if so, I can. No, for once I thought I'd actually give it a rest. So I'm glad you picked it up because I was feeling a bit sad about it. There's some really, really good weather <laughs> descriptions in this book. Yeah. Uh, right at the beginning, the sky blew a gale. The sky blew a fury. The wind became a wall sweeping across the country, a giant stamping on the land. Mm. Small trees bent, big trees broke. The last leaves of autumn whirred through the air like lost bullets. It is beautiful. I think I still prefer the rain just because it was so grim. Oh, but, yeah. Hang on. Let me find that one. Uh, what uh, is it? It, it rained dismal. That was my quote last week. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, there's a good quote about rain in this one. Oh, uh, there is a sir. Sleet. It was sog. It was soggy. Not really water, but not quite ice. Rain with bones. Ooh, yeah. Isn't that a good line? That is a good line. I think I must have skim read over that bit. But yeah, winter for me is very much the memory of sleet hitting you sideways in the face. Yep. Uh, so it's always a nice surprise when it's something else. But <laughs> it's so, and it's always sleet hitting you sideways in the face when you're not in the mood to be walking like you're walking to work or to mm. school or to somewhere you don't want to be yeah. or you're walking home but you're tired and you don't want to be walking it's that yeah but this idea of the wind stomping across the land yeah. and breaking trees because you've got these gnomes who are such a tiny part of the landscape that's not designed for them yeah yeah, uh, yeah. And it adds this extra level of almost violence to the weather because, mm. you know, the snowflakes are the size of the gnomes' faces. Can you imagine a snowflake the size of your face? Yes, I want to eat it. I want to wear it like a flannel. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like a brief veering into anthropomorphizing the weather and just, like just enough to make it make his point and then yes. goes back to just beautiful metaphor. And, yeah, no, he's very, very good at weather. Yes. I've always said so, or I have always certainly said so for several months. Uh, yes, rain with bones. Rain I really with enjoy bones, yeah, rain good. with bones. Rain with bones. Band name. That's our metal band name. If yeah. by some horrible twist of fate we start a metal band, not anti-metal, just anti-us doing metal. I'm quite anti-metal. No, that's not fair. I'm anti the kind of metal that gives me a headache. 
I am anti people who insist that it's the only genre of music. Yes, I'm also anti uh, heavy metal in drinking water. Just so we're clear here. Not a fan of mercury poisoning. <laughs> no. Uh, right. Sorry. Workman like burning. What? Oh yeah. <laughs> I've <laughs> given was... up on segues for this episode. I don't know I if think, you've noticed. I think that's fair. Yeah, I just quite like this again as a, just a little throwaway line that describes it perfectly, which is behind them, the truck burst into flames, not spectacularly, but in a workmanlike way, as if it was going to go on burning all day. Just like, <clears throat> you I know exactly that. what that is, amazingly. Yep. Um, one of my favourite tropes is something crashing into something not very hard and setting on fire. So I think I've mentioned that months and months and months ago on the podcast. Uh, and this is exactly the kind of burning that I imagine when that happens, just a yeah, it's not a wump, it's a yeah, wump. yeah, yeah. So that's that talking points. Let's talk stuff. Let's, let's talk about some points. Let's talk about some st- big stuff, big stuff, big overarching theme of this book, or sort of two overlapping, overarching themes with some existential dread thrown in for fun. Yes, I've put, I've put a little nubbin of existential dread on the end of your big talking point because I think that makes more sense. It does. But yes, you do tell me about new class systems new class systems and old extremes and it's just this this overarching thread i saw from the book as they sort of adapt their life in the quarry and masculine wants to go and find bigger stuff and they start when things are hard they start slipping into the older things mm. and it kind of starts with the the council of drivers which is introduced right at the beginning and this is the new hierarchy that's formed post store because obviously in the store the hierarchies were all formed around the departments yeah and stationery had control of reading and knowledge, and delicatessen had most of the control over food. Whereas now the the hierarchy is kind of split into the drivers and the people who are in the back of the lorry on the long drive. It's very post revolution, isn't it? Yeah, the people who were part of uh, a short burst of action find themselves at like the top of a political system, which is not necessarily ideal. Yeah, but oh, obviously neither was the like hereditary class system, but. Yeah. Point is, all class systems are bad. Everything is awful and always will be. Everything is terrible. <laughs> but I find it's an interesting way the hierarchy develops and how much masculine, like, who is, you know, our protagonist, at least for the first part of the book, really uncomfortable with the role he's got and the fact that, you know, it's not done for him to go and hunt, which is kind of what he's good at. Yeah. And yeah. what he, he knows and what's familiar to him. But that he can't go back to what's familiar is what drives him to go out and do something massively unfamiliar. It's interesting, isn't it? Because at the end of the last book, he was very suited to being a leader for that situation. But it turns yeah. out that, yeah, he's not necessarily the right leader for a static, you know, you need old Torrit back, maybe. Uh, exactly. And it plays back, it goes into this whole thing about his sort of really shit proposal to Grimmer of, well, I suppose we should get married now. Yeah. And I say, but, but I don't. Clearly, neither of us want this. So <laughs> Yeah. Is that, is that really what we should do? It's time they got married like the store names did with the Abbott muttering words. It's this idea of he'd done lots of changing. He'd made change happen, but he was also dead against things not staying the same. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's very human, isn't it? It's, uh, it is. I Of course I want change. Of course I want adventure. I want progress. But if you break my routine slightly, I will crumble into a tiny little mess. Yeah, that's very relatable. And then you go into the like the religion of it all. Mm. And I like this idea of the conflict between Angelo and Gerda being the fact that neither of them were confident enough, either in their belief in Arnold yeah. Rose's 1905 or in the atheism. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why they argued so much, because they were also sort of trying to convince themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think somebody who's so secure in their opinion doesn't 
doesn't keep going on like that, do they? That's a yeah. Although I suppose that might be slightly different if you're trying to persuade somebody for the good of the whole society. But yeah, well, that kind of brings us neatly to Nicodemus. Yeah, good old Nicodemus. Which again, like it, it's good fucking writing. It really is, and it's scary to read. And it and the power vacuum that's created by Masklin and Gerda leaving, mm. and he steps in. It's really hard to read because, like you, you see this happen in real life. You mm. see versions of this, this, and this intense, powerful belief, and this insistence of you know, well, things were better then, though, weren't they? Yeah, and so it, many people being drawn to the fact that somebody's sure of themselves. Yeah, that like, well, we don't know what's a, going on, but he looks like he does. So yeah, yeah, and it, it goes into that whole thing of of this. Okay, well, let's return to the old ways. The new ways clearly not working. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Let's not keep trying to find a... Let's not find a solution. A better way. Let's go back to, yeah. Even even though in this case, like, it's impossible to return to the old ways. That's, uh... And this idea of building the stores in their heads and what mm. he's really doing is he wants to bring back departments and not just class divides, but like this idea of this really, really insular yeah. People not getting along and pulling together quite so well as going into their own departments. Yeah, it is odd, isn't it? It's, it's like somebody re- like arguing for the return of feudalism. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, it's this thing you kind of see in like, uh, obviously I'm not calling Nicodemus a fascist, but in like fascist ideologies, this idea of... Might be a bit things, of a fascist, I don't know. A bit fascist around the ears. But one thing I find interesting about his extremism I feel like you get two different kinds of extremist rising to power. You have a grand overarching political theory. I love it. Tell me. I'm not sure how much of this is just fueled by the fact I watched V for Vendetta again last weekend. God, I love that movie. Well, if it is, then I like it even more. Please tell. Great movie. Not so great comic book. Movie is kind of best. I've never read the comic book. Not worth it. Well, no, I mean, it's fine. It's a good comic book. It's just just written by Alan Moore, who is an amazing comic book writer that really likes young women having sex with much older men. Stephen Fry's character is not gay in the comic book. Oh, yeah. Also, as Pratchett notes in here, sometimes you do need a score. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the score of if and I mean, love a bit. More music needs cannons. Sorry, please carry on. I'm going to stop interrupting. No, it's fine. I was in a car with a couple of mates the other day, and I had control of the aux cord, which you know is a mistake. You know this, Francie. No, it's not a mistake if I'm in the car with you. No. But I would I was like, you do it if we were trying to impress anyone else. Yeah, I didn't know one of these people very well. I obviously knew the driver well. Uh, and I was like, what do you want to listen to? And it's just like, yeah, whatever. I was like, don't say whatever to me. Like, give me an idea. And I was like, no, yeah, whatever. Fine, I'm putting the full yeah, 1812 overture on then. You can listen to 16 minutes of build-up and then a minute and 30 seconds of cannons. <laughs> anyway, moving on from my sex life. <laughs> Anyway, right, no, grand overarching political theory about fascists arriving to power. So sorry. Two types of um, these people rise to power. Again, moving on from my sex life. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, right. Yeah, two types of people. And one is about using the ideologies, playing on people's nostalgia and desperation for things to be the safe old way to gain power. Mm -hmm. And then the other is the Nicodemus type where, I mean, he kind of has the power by default because he's looking after things on Gerda's behalf. But who really, really fucking believes what he's saying. He genuinely believes yeah. they need the store back. He believes it so hard he is willing to stand in front of a moving car. Yeah, it's not just posturing. It's not political manoeuvring, like you're saying. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's just as dangerous, but it's it's not disingenuous. It's, it's what makes him an antagonist rather than a villain. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good way of And not even it. really an antagonist, but he is he's an opposing he's, force. He's a, he's a brief antagonist, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, for most of it he's an opposing force, I'd say for, for mm. about five minutes there he's he's an antagonist before he gets squashed. Uh, Again, it's a weird pacing thing because he's kind of not present. Yeah. There in the background, takes advantage of the power va- vacuum, becomes an extremist for a bit dead and then you've still got like another 50 pages of book it is a weird pacing bit but i quite liked that as a weird pacing thing because it's uh you knew what was happening you knew what was going to happen and it was quite nice to get it over with in a good way yeah um i didn't want to read the rest of this book with that going on as a plot yeah no i'm glad the plot dies off when it does it's not a bad choice to have the weird pacing but it is is surprising when it suddenly ends yeah you can imagine if this book was being written in a more spread out way that the Nistema stuff would get a slower build up and yeah. maybe a wider pay- payoff. Yeah. And actually, if he was writing this for adults, maybe Pratchett would have written more of the political build up. Yeah. Maybe it's simplified as much as it is squashed. Yeah. But for that, it, it's it's still incredibly well written right. because, like I said, it's a relatable thing. We've seen things like this happen over and over again in the world. Mm-hmm. We've who I among like us we've... has not risen to power on the back of a power vacuum on the back of a firm belief in Arnold Bros. Uh, yeah. S nineteen oh five. But you compare it to Grimmer's almost leading from the back mm. thing she ends up doing, especially in the sort of later third of the book, where, you know, she's somewhat despairing and she's saying, Okay, well, I can do it or don't then. Yeah. And how it kind of works better as leadership and it gets the gnomes doing what they need to do a lot faster and with less dithering. And some of it's the fact that what she's suggesting is better. I think one of the best moments when there's a second power vacuum because Nicodemus is gone and they've tied up the human and someone's suggesting that they torture it. And yeah. Grimm is like, well, go on then. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I didn't mean I, sh- I would torture it. And yeah. it's like, well, okay, don't sit there and. S- yeah. If you want him tortured, torture him yourself. Yeah. Which, you know, or don't. Torture, also kind of a no-no on the true show, make you fret. Yeah, I think that's a very obvious, it's not even a reference, it's a reflection of something I'm guessing Pratchett was very bothered by, which is this calls for punitive justice from random members of the British public. So like, oh, they, they should all be thrown in the sea. Okay, go on then, throw them in the sea. No, well, I'm, not gonna, no, no. I'm not going to throw them in the sea. Should just, all be just should be just should be done. Yeah, should be done. Should be done. Someone should be throwing them in the sea. Yeah, yeah. I think if you to... don't want anyone in charge, you would throw someone in the sea. Apart from Black Lives Matter protesters throwing statues of old racists into the sea, that we can approve of. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thumbs up for throwing statues in the sea. Almost all statues, because even cool statues in the sea, put there deliberately. I like the idea of. I know they'll get eroded quite quickly, but I'm very. I'm not very. Um, Oh, what's the word? It's not thalassophobia for massive objects under the water. It's megalophobia, something like that. Yeah. The kind of combination of massive man-made objects and being underwater. But I don't have that. I just love the idea of coming across a giant statue underwater. Yeah, no, very much so. I'm into it. Let's throw more, put more giant statues in the sea. That's the political platform I'm running on. Yep. And I'm right behind you in a JCB. Cool. <laughs> I'm Luke, I'm five and my dad's Bruce Uh Fuck. It's going to get my head when I look at it. I can't click that link. Can we do it? You've got to. All right, I will. Fine. You're very persuasive. I am. Speaking of, so is Grimmer. Again, her sort of leading from the back thing. Uh, when she's trying to sort of chivvy some people to go along and rescue Dorcas, 
and 15 people came along mostly out of sheer embarrassment. <laughs> yes, well, I can't not then, can I? And it's, you know, as much as this book is sort of quite scary and that you see this extremism rising so quickly and then falling so quickly, partly again, because obviously it's written by, it's about the gnomes and mm. they do live these faster lives. So you will see those power things ebb and flow so quickly. But this idea at the end of people stop complaining when it's really bad. Yes. Yeah, at that point, you just kind of try and survive moment to moment, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And that being kind of what unites the gnomes much more efficiently than either Nicodemus's wanting to rebuild the store in their heads or Grimmer's, right, just can you oh, fucking do God. it, though? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It kind of ties into, like, I had some notes on existential dread as I've foreshadowed clumsily but kind of existential dread slash anger so like briefly Nicodemus had a very different reaction to the rest kind of he couldn't conceive of their unimportance and so he kept moving the goalposts in his head yeah and so when it was um uh when, when it was oh here's the signage we will use to stop that lorry and then it didn't it didn't so it was because you cut the chain because I can't be wrong so I will fight. It's, we've talked about it before. It's this circular reasoning kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, we must always come back to this conclusion and I'll work backwards from here. Mm-hmm. And eventually believed it so hard he got squashed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then from that kind of comes this real existential dread for the rest of them because I love the quote, the gnome sat in the noisy darkness, not even daring to speak and felt their world vanishing. Not because the humans hated gnomes, because they didn't notice them. And this is like proper existential horror. It's like a peep at that genre. So it's, it's almost Lovecraftian. Yeah. And it pops up a lot in the Magnus archives as well. It's that the, the idea that the world or the universe is, is populated with these gargantuan forces that, that won't kill you out of spite, but just because they didn't notice you. And so there's just no chance of reasoning, of bargaining, of escaping, whatever. You are insignificant. You are nothing. It's like, it's like the other side of the pale blue dot. It's the the terror of perspective rather than the joy or the comfort of it. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. And then Grimmer just gets angry about it. And she's like, notice me. No, fuck you. Notice me. Um, yeah. And like, I saw, I, I liked the parallel between her getting super angry, well, super despondent and then angry at the fox and hitting the fox and then the fox didn't come back. Yeah. And then she thinks she can not, necessarily consciously but she tries to do the same thing with the humans she gets really despondent and then really angry and tries to kind of metaphorically hit the human on the nose with the stick um, by driving jcb at them (laughs) which didn't quite work but you can see what she was doing there see what she's going for respect it yeah absolutely luckily there was a bit of a deus ex machina at the last second there but i like what she was going for um it was more masculine ex machina nice deus ex masculine Anyway, sorry. You were having a really good moment there. I interrupted you. No, no, I was actually coming to my trailing off, so that was good. <laughs> now it looks like it's your fault. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, no, the existential dread idea and just the weird, like, Jesus, what is our place in this world thing is yeah. a great theme to this book because, because again, to keep coming back to Nicodemus, but he is so determined that he knows up their place in the world. Their yeah. place in the world is, the world is for them 
as written by Arnold Bros. S. 1905. Yeah, it's like the um, Earth-centric, what, what's it called? Heliocentric's the sun one, that's the correct one. What's the one where they thought the Earth was the centre of the solar system? Terra-centric? No, that's Latin. Fuck knows. Could be. Let's call it Terra-centric, because that works. But yeah, yeah, it's the, yes, we're in the centre of the map. We're in the centre of the universe. Of course this is ours. Yeah. And it motivates them in different ways. Grimmer is frustrated and comes to that conclusion right before the Deus Ex Masculine comes down of they're never going to give us peace. Yeah. And I'm going to be stuck in that fucking Flower Fairy outfit soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Masculine's got this, hang on, we are tiny and insignificant in this world that was not built for us. Let's go and find the world that was built for us. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I didn't actually make that connection between the very last bit that the, yeah, when she realized she wasn't going to get peace, it's like, oh yeah, turns out you didn't want to be noticed, I guess. Or yeah. they, they, she did, but like, turns out the consequence was not good. Stick to existential dread. That's the message of this book. <laughs> Speaking of messages, do you want to talk about some word stuff? I do. I do. I'm going to make so many jokes about things that sound homophobic in this section. Yes, you are. But before we get to the proper section, actually, I just want to make sure I put this in. The, the phrase, it's going to make noises in the telephone, made me very happy and it didn't fit anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I, so now I think of our podcast as, we're going to make noises in the microphone. I, I literally have a microphone in, in front of me and still for a second I thought you were about to say microwave. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't even have, don't a, even microwave. have a microwave. <laughs> oh no. Right, sorry. Oh. Anyway. Should we make noises into the microphone? Yeah, all right. Mm. So uh, doing a slightly better job of, what, of explaining what I meant last week, it's semantic ambiguity. Oh, okay. Which is my euphemism also. He's a bit semantically amb ambiguous, you know. Yeah. Um, is he, is, you know, semantically ambiguous? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, obviously, as you can work out from the phrase, it's when a word or a phrase or a sentence taken out of context can mean one thing or another. Uh, yeah. So, an example from Richard Nordquist, we saw her duck. The words her duck could refer to either the person's duck, that person owns a duck. Oh, fuck, it's in the other room. Yeah, it could, <laughs> could refer to something she did, she could duck. And there's really no way of telling when it's completely taken out of context like this. And when it's taken mm -hmm. out of context, for, for the gnomes, obviously, they don't have context. They don't, yeah. they've got no context. And then that made me think about word sense disambiguation, which I think we might have mentioned briefly before, or I've just talked to you about it. But it's it's an ongoing problem in AI and computer linguistics. So it's trying to teach computers to identify when a meaning of a word be, would be used in what context and how to identify oh, right. that. And because they don't, yeah, they don't have the the same context with you so the solution to that of finding it or not finding it kind of affects search engines obviously that's a big one google's improved quite a lot on that and i think i, I think i talked about it in terms of google translate or something before but yeah so that's quite interesting and all to do with like ais and stuff and then i decided to look for ambiguous signage because that sounded more fun mm -hmm. <laughs> and i found lots of collections of them unsurprisingly and i just a, a couple of my favorites yield when occupied so what does that mean it means you have, you have to yield if you're busy <laughs> oh these are funnier in a sign shit i haven't tried to read them out for <laughs> there's a sign saying pet area with a man sitting next to it petting the ground 
And then finally, if your dog does a poo, please put it in the litter bin. <laughs> bin the dog. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, listeners, you'll enjoy that much more in a picture format. So I will link a few of those pages. And I do apologize for not realizing how bad that would be in audio only. <laughs> no, I still liked it. Okay, good. But the I got some interesting bits in first. Remember that. Don't remember this bit. Okay, good. Shall we do some more interesting bits? Do you have an obscure reference, Finial? Yeah. Um, although it's a very brief one because I've decided, I decided as I was reading it, that you'd probably like to do some of the research for this uh, for a rabbit hole I know you're going to plan one day. Mm-hmm. So it's about Hawthorne. Yeah. And Hawthorne has a lot of folklore surrounding it, which I didn't realise. I was looking at Hawthorne berries because I remembered something about their medicinal use. And yeah, apparently they're meant to be good for heart health and stuff, but yada yada um but apparently so it's actual medicine yeah well i mean you know again with the i don't like to just shit all over but i mean yeah there's a, there's lots of like herbal cures that work and yes. interestingly there's like a lot of research being done into that at the moment of like really old books that we just completely dismissed and huh. um like there's something they've done with cow bile recently which is like a new antibiotics they've now discovered that they found a recipe in a really old book wow because, yeah, That's the thing is, cool. a lot of this was written down because it worked. Yeah. And then, obviously, a lot of it was written down because they thought women were always haunting things or whatever. <laughs> so it's kind of picking it apart. Anyway, point is, Hawthorne's folklore is interesting. It's considered like a fairy tree and like a gateway to the underworld. Mm -hmm. It's very bad luck to cut it if it's not in bloom. And in the Victorian language of flowers, it represented hope, which I think might be what he was doing there. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. And then just a little trivia about it. Young shoots and unopened flower buds of Hawthorne used to be known as bread and cheese. No. Oh. I'm not sure why. Uh, they do not taste like bread and cheese. No, oh, well, that's so, just, so, yeah. <laughs> just a fun little nickname for them, I guess. Yeah, that's that. Amazing. Hawthorne berries. Well, I think that's everything we can say about Diggers, part of the Bromeliad, and a lot of things we can say that have nothing to do with Diggers, part of the Bromeliad. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, happy guys. Valentine's Day, by the way, listeners. This is coming out on Valentine's Day, oh, so yeah. we love you all. We do. And St. Valentine sends you bees. And plague. Look it up. <laughs> Don't, if you're a patron. Because, oh, yeah, no, Joe, uh, I'll look it up for you. <laughs> I'll be looking it up for you in this month's rabbit hole. Speaking of... I did, uh, no, I did put that out. Okay, good, yeah, sorry. Yes, you did. I just had a sudden it. moment of like, oh, fuck, I did release the last one, didn't I? Yes, I did. <laughs> well done, Francine anyway sorry uh so yes we'll be back next week with the final part wings before returning to the disc next month i believe i can fly i believe i can touch the sky ha, you wouldn't be able to resist sorry now i will of course shut I up can't. thank you until next week dear listeners you can follow us on instagram at the true shall make you fret on twitter at make you fret pod on facebook at the true shall make you fret you can join our subreddit community r slash ttsmyf email us your thoughts queries castles snacks albatrosses and valentines the true shall make you fret pod at gmail.com and if you want to support us financially go to patreon.com forward slash the true shall make you fret exchange your hard-earned pennies for some bonus nonsense which Fiend. this month may include the origins of the Valentine's Day and Ooh. there'll be some stuff about bees and plague victims. Ooh. Spoilers. In the meantime, dear listener, I'd very much like to know what Masculine has been doing these past few weeks. I 
I will die before I follow that advice about sleep hygiene. And that is right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you later. All right. Love, love. Bye. Love, love. Bye.